Welcome to Called, a podcast where we explore the intersection of ministry and the rest of our lives as church workers. I'm Bill Smoots. And I'm Sarah Breeza. Today we're talking about national holidays, patriotic holidays, something that we do in America around Veterans Day and Labor Day and the 4th of July. And what does it mean for us in the church? And maybe a little civil religion mixed in there yeah. as well. Yeah, definitely a little bit. Uh, so a little bit about Bill and I. Between the two of us, we have ministered in churches for over 50 years. We have not burnt out yet. Working on it. I have pastored in primarily Presbyterian churches uh, for the last several years. I have been doing interim transitional work, intentional interim transitional work in UCC congregations. And the churches I served have been large and small and everything in between. And I have been a church musician all over the denominational spectrum, mainline evangelical Catholic. Basically, if they hire organists, um, I've worked there, which means, yeah, I've done a lot of the Star Spangled Banner over the years. Uh, not very successfully. People don't like the, anything after the first verse. Uh, <laughs> you know some hymnals have There's in there. more than one verse? I know, right? <laughs> As the folks traipse out of the church during the last hymn. That was, that was bad. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Uh, so today we're talking about whatever we call it, national holidays, patriotic holidays. Like, of course, there are, in the U.S., there are a lot of national holidays that aren't necessarily related to national identity. And I'm thinking of something like Mother's Day or Thanksgiving Day, those kinds of national holidays. My sense is we're talking about the, the area between how we try to be disciples of Jesus Christ and how we try to worship God and the, the influx of what does that mean, in, particularly in the American context, when uh, we come to a Memorial Day weekend or a Veterans Day or certainly a Fourth of July and and uh, or or any political season where the phrase "God bless America" uh, mm-hmm. is is flying fast and free, and where members of the congregation may come with expectations for how their relatives or their belief in the the country or or service in the military um, should be reflected in their worship experiences mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and how that not everybody shares that um, how often in the same church not everybody well, shares correct that. Yeah. correct and and how sometimes pastors and and other church staff are are in agreement with that and other times they have differing opinions mm-hmm. and and that those differences, those those gaps in belief, uh, those separate perspectives can cause real points of tension mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. congregations yeah. oh. and between individuals and can make ministry really hard sometimes. Yeah, it can. And I think that one of the things that we're talking about now is whatever we decide to do in those services around those patriotic holidays, um, we need to really understand why we're doing that. And that's like the framing question, like, well, whatever choice you come to, why? What's the point? I I think that that's hopefully a question we ask about all the things in our services, especially services where we, um, we as the leaders in the local church have a lot of autonomy over the choices that we make. You know, I I realize that not everyone listening to this has a lot of autonomy over the choices they make for a given Sunday. But for those of us who do, we really have to pay attention to the choices that we do make. We do. And, and it's, we have our own personal choices and, and our own theological preferences or understandings. Uh, it's my experience over the years that what I believe personally or how I choose to worship and, and choose to lead worship can, can be at odds with, with folks who don't share 
my theological perspective mm-hmm. or or don't or, or we don't have similar history when mm-hmm. it comes to people serving in the military uh, and, and pieces like that and that even as I pay attention to why I'm doing things, what are my goals, what are mm-hmm. my purposes, they may not be shared and, and I have to be prepared to deal with that gap and, and have conversation in that gap with people from different perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we've all been in situations where someone in the congregation wanted us to be a mirror, basically, a neutral a neutral thing that they see themselves in. You mean all the time? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, 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 and this is just a, um, this is just one particular point where we see this often, but it, you know, it happens all the time that we as the leaders in the church are asked to be a neutral canvas to reflect people back. Right, right. And, and if there's even, for, for folks who want that reflection back, even the slightest bit of detor- distortion can be really, really upsetting. <laughs> really, really throws them. Really upsets them, and yeah. and it's it's not a in my experience a a logical response. It's it's purely emotional, and because it's so emotional, it can come with a lot more intensity than would seem to make sense. Would, yeah. would you, you, yeah. you you end up with more intensity than you would expect than you can anticipate. And we don't know people's histories, right? We often don't right, know. and and but they expect us to, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and and it's and it's or maybe often, don't see how their history uh, influences their current. Yeah, they they may not be self aware enough, but it's a very tender place. Oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and 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 so it's it's that tenderness can be akin to holy ground. You know, when when we're dealing in the life of another, we're really walking on holy ground, and we need mm-hmm. to take yeah. off our shoes. But the challenge is, how do you have hold some theological integrity, or how do you, as as the leader uh, in a congregation, you've been given responsibility for leadership in a particular area? How do you say this is this is who I, as the leader, understand us to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how do you manage like the whole group with its very different viewpoints sometimes? Right. Right, knowing they're going to be all across the spectrum, mm-hmm. and yeah. and that you can never make everybody happy, and probably shouldn't try. Yeah, yeah, no, even Jesus didn't make everybody <laughs> happy, as we know well. <laughs> Let's talk about our histories um, regarding patriotic holidays and our family memories, backgrounds that like that, and then we're going to get into different challenges around these holidays and different approaches that we can take. So, Bill, let's start off with some history. Okay. I come from a family where there has been military service, um, but it was never military career. Uh, mm-hmm. Grandfather who served in World War One, another grandfather who served in World War Two, a father who served some time uh, in in during the Korean War in the Air Force, but here in this country, I have never served. Uh, though I'm named after a, a, a man who was a, a bomber pilot, flew B-17s and B-24s in World War Two, um, and and it was important to my parents um, to mm-hmm. not not because of his military service, but because of who he was. So, so I have that in my background, but, but I never served. And, um, and I would also say that growing up, my experience, particularly of Memorial Day, mm-hmm. was that was the day we went and visited like my great-grandmother's grave. Um, I just understood it. Oh, kind of like an All Saints, to, to, All Souls kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I understood it to oh, be a day where you paid attention to your dead relatives, if you could. Oh, yeah. And never had a sense of that as anything more. Yeah, and not that. particularly. Even military. when I was well into, you know, it, it, I wasn't 
it was my third congregation when when there an issue arose about how uh, Memorial Day had run on Sunday morning uh, from a, a couple of women whose father had been in the military in World War II, and um, they understood Memorial Day very differently. I was I was shocked. I, yeah. I just I did not share that understanding. Yeah. I I had grown up, you know, four hundred miles from where they had, and we had completely wow. different understandings. Wow. And Bill, you grew up during the Vietnam War. I did grow up during the Vietnam War, and, and my my Vietnam memories. I was the odd kid out who, when I was seven, eight, nine, and watching Walter Cronkite on the evening news. <laughs> and and one of the things that at least the CBS Evening News did during those years was every Friday, uh, so Central Time, five thirty to six is when the news was on. The news would end with a body count for the week, and oh. that body count was how many U.S. soldiers had been killed in Vietnam and how many. Vietnamese soldiers, Viet Cong, communist soldiers had been mm-hmm. killed. And, and there were always more communist soldiers killed than American soldiers. But I remember this odd sense as I grew up and watching this of, oh, I, I guess I'm going to have to go off and fight in this war too. And, and mm-hmm. maybe I'll be killed and be one of those numbers, uh, on, on the news on a Friday night. And, as I got older and, and more able to, to think critically and, and begin to think for myself, it was like, I don't want to do that. I, I don't, I don't feel called in that way. I, I, I wouldn't have understood it as called, but I didn't see myself as a soldier. And while when I turned 18, uh, I was still at that time required mm-hmm. to go register for the draft, go to yeah. the post office and yeah. fill out the little card. I knew even as I filled it out that if I was ever drafted, I would try and be a conscientious objector uh, because I just didn't think it was right to yeah. to to participate in in military that way yeah so that's that's where you're coming that's from. yeah that, that all that shapes my approach to this day so like like Bill I have a lot of people in my extended family who served especially in World War II. Um, but I actually grew up in a military family. My dad was career in the military. Uh, my stepfather spent his career in the military. My grandfather spent his career in the military, and my step grandfather. Did you move all, around a lot? A Sarah? lot of Air Force. Um, yeah, we did move around a lot, um, and so that really influenced influenced not just my home life, but also the kinds of churches that I grew up in because they had a lot of military people in them. I bet. Um, so I think when we talk about different approaches, we'll talk about one particular approach that my childhood, one of my childhood churches had, the one that I was, I was there during high school, so I remember it the most. Okay. Um, but definitely, you know, military family. It's a, it's a different cultural kind of thing. And, and when you're living in proximity to lots of other folks who are serving or have a family member serving, it, it does create mm-hmm. a different ethos. Yeah. I, yeah. I should have said my, my wife's, my father-in-law, my wife's father uh, was a career Air Force officer oh, yeah, that's as right. well. Yeah. And while he was long retired by the time I met my wife and, and we got married, it was still very much an important part of his life. And he lived mm-hmm. near the base and mm-hmm. uh, would, would, would be around the base a lot and, and mm-hmm. that, and, and lived in a community where there were lots of other active serving or retired military. And that was a very important part of the identity of that community. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And even sometimes, not even people in the military, but who are um, contractors and auxiliary, auxiliary to it, mm-hmm. um, they can be a huge part of the uh, the economy of the local city. Um, yes. It's really, yes. really important. Bases so, kick so a lot those of money. Are, oh, they do. They do. Um, I, gr- I grew up around um, an Air Force base in Georgia that was apparently the largest employer in all of Georgia. Um, wow. Like that, you want to talk about a military town? That is a military town. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. So those are our histories. Um, now let's talk about challenges. And we have alluded to some of these, but let's start out with the the cultural narrative that we have in the U.S. We have the city set on a hill. And Bill, I think you have seen some shift in this narrative. Like I grew up, you know, hearing Puritan stories, America's the city set on a hill, um, th- those kinds of things. But you've seen a shift like since like 9-11, I think. Well, I, I think that, that that sense of American exceptionalism mm-hmm. and America as a special place mm-hmm. blessed by, blessed God, by God yeah. has 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 you know, came with the Puritans who were yeah. escaping religious persecution and saw this new land as mm-hmm. as uh, and and a sense of blessing in this new land and that yeah. that runs beneath our our cultural heritage to this day mm-hmm. and and exists um, but but the shift that you alluded to that that. I have seen, and this is just me, it may not be documented academically, but the folks I knew who served in World War II or who served in Vietnam, um, Korea, um, they, um, even, even the first Gulf War, they were doing their job is how they would describe what mm-hmm. they did. Yeah. And I, there was one man in my church in Racine, Wisconsin, and he had served in seven major battles in World War II all around Europe and uh, came back and was a milkman for the rest of his life. And his, when, when I'd say, wow, that was a lot of, a lot of service. I was just doing my job. I was doing what yeah. I was expected to do. Yeah. And, and he did not see his service as anything more than that. Post 9-11, I feel like we've made a shift culturally where anybody who serves in the military or who serves as a first responder of any kind, we now talk about them in heroic terms. Mm, These are yeah. our heroes, our yeah. fallen heroes, our active heroes. And 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 I don't I, I'm not trying to denigrate anybody at all in saying this, but but suddenly when everybody's a hero, it it, it kind of becomes difficult to parse out, you know, are, were there some who were really heroes? Uh, really if everybody's limiting. a hero, is anybody a hero? Yeah, it can be really limiting for people who are labeled that because, oh, now I have to have this particular identity. Um, I can't just be myself. And, and I wonder, and again, this is just Bill's speculation, but as as we as a culture have moved farther away from organized religion, you know, larger and larger percentage of our um, population are not involved with any organized faith on on a very regular basis. Um, have have we needed still to have some way to 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 talk about military service, to talk about war, to talk about those who die in a way that's meaningful to us. Mm-hmm. And like without spiritual but not religious kind of thing. Thank you. Yeah. And and without that faith based of I'm in a church, I'm in a synagogue or or some other particular faith, without that tight base, then then we have to kind of spiritualize our experience of, of those who serve in any way, shape, or form, those those who are caring for others through their position. And so they all become heroes. Mm, um, yeah. I, I liken it to when I was growing up and would be driving along highways, I never saw little crosses or little mounds of flowers, teddy bears, those kind of things where somebody had been killed in an accident. Um, but now I, I wouldn't know. I just see those all the time. And again, I wonder if those aren't ways we're trying to provide some spiritual meaning uh, because mm, we don't yeah. have faith communities to which we're connected where we find that meaning. 
So there's a challenge, and especially if we think about um, promoting a hero narrative in our churches and whether we think that's a good idea or not. Another challenge is that sometimes these holidays and the way we talk about them in church can be really overtly partisan. And I've seen that just through my years in a really wide variety of churches. It seems that churches who are more likely to do something celebratory around, say, um, Veterans Day tend to be more red, tend to be more um, theologically conservative. And churches that don't really do anything or do less tend to be more blue, tend to be more, tend to be more urban, those, those kinds of things. And it just seems like a, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder what are the deeper things there. And I think there are a lot of things there. Yeah, there's a lot of things. And, and, and I feel like I, I agree with you on that dichotomy, but I feel like it's a, it's almost a false narrative. It, it's mm-hmm. like saying uh, that that if you you come from a blue congregation or a predominantly blue congregation, you're, you're there's no sense of patriotism or no yeah, belief yeah, exactly. in our country. And that, that's what I'm saying. Like it's it's and, more complicated than like oh, oh it's, it's so much more yeah, complicated. Yeah. Or if you're from a, a red congregation, um, you're 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 not nuanced to say where's their space for God. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, it just leads yeah, to yeah, those yeah. kind of false dichotomies mm-hmm. that I think get us in trouble. Yes. And and reinforce bad stereotypes mm-hmm. uh, for for congregations that are not helpful to our worship of God, to our respect of one another. So there's that challenge. Another one is that in the U.S. we are not part of a national church. There isn't a national church, and so for our our services um, and the way we negotiate the relationship between the church and the state, um, yeah, challenge. <laughs> Complicated. Do you have an American flag or not? Mm, very complicated. It is. Those those are those are complicated dynamics, and I think we, the collective church, kind of want to keep a foot in each camp. Um, yeah. And 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 it's not just the pastors and other staff members want to be in one camp, and members want to be in a different camp. It's it's not that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, I I in my Presbyterian world, uh, where I've spent most of my service to professional service to congregations um there are churches that will fight about you know do we have a flag or not how do we recognize yeah, these various yeah. days what's what hymns do we sing on these days but then there's also the barman declaration in our book of presbyterian book of confessions and the barman declaration was written by Karl Barth and Dietrich Bonhoeffer back in the 30s um as the confessing church that was standing against the german lutheran church that had kind of caved into hitler and the confessing church was saying no we can't give in to these powers and it's a beautiful four-page theological confession about how uh, we will act towards the state. And so wow. that is part of our Presbyterian heritage wow. that we celebrate as well. And, and so it's, it, there's this built-in conflict mm-hmm. of, of how do yeah. we, how do we have a feat in, uh, each camp? And yeah. we do. Yeah. Uh, how do we live in the world? I mean, that, really, that's, that's what right. we're talking that's about. That's right. And, and I think, how do we be faithful Christians? <laughs> I, I, and I think that's become more challenging culturally as we become more politically divided mm-hmm. in this country yeah. it, it creeps into uh, how we think theologically and and mm-hmm. uh, we can become uh, theologically divided in ways we previously perhaps haven't yeah. been or in yeah. ways that are are more emotional than logical so we've been we've been talking about kind of secular secular challenges but now let's turn towards the emotional challenges and the familial challenges and Bill you've mentioned sometimes you'll have someone in a congregation who just really you know, wants a special day to remember a, 
a parent or an uncle, those, those kinds of things. Or it seems that sometimes the emotions around these holidays can feel like if you don't do X, whatever X is, um, you somehow don't love your country. Don't love your country and don't care for that particular parishioner. Yeah. Um, you've, yeah. You've, you've told him or her you don't literally matter. that they don't matter to go to hell because you have trod on their emotional slash spiritual expectation of what yeah. you're going to do. Yeah. Whether they've explained that to you or offered that to you or not, it's kind of, you're supposed to be able to read my mind or, or read my spirit and know, and this isn't the only area in church life that's like that, but, but it carries extra freight, it seems like, when it comes to uh, a, a mix of, of religion and patriotism. This is kind of like when we were talking on an earlier episode about settling into a new church, and you really need to find out not just what the norms are, but what the sacred cows are, yes. and think really carefully before you, I don't know, delete that one special song from Christmas Eve or what have you, because a lot of people are going to feel like you did that to them and you ruined their Christmas Eve, and and probably that's not what you want, but... And reality is <laughs> complicated. It, takes, it probably takes three years of hard, intentional work, relational work, to get to know a congregation, regardless yeah. of size, to, mm-hmm. to really get to know people. And and it's been my experience that the members of the congregation don't see that as their work. Uh, that's oh, yeah. that's there that's for the, pastor's work, the yeah. pastor's work, the staff's work, mm-hmm. you get to know us, but they're ready to jump um, immediately uh, if you aren't understanding things the way they expect you to understand them. Uh, the the trouble I had uh, in a, serving a congregation with a couple of sisters on Memorial Day that I mentioned earlier, I had been at that church seven months when when Memorial Day rolled around and um, and and did not respond obviously the way they were expecting me to and they just hammered me and may have ultimately walked away from that church. I think we need a memo here that like hammering the pastor is really not what anybody should be doing. Well, I, I'm <laughs> always is, glad to, to be here. in conversation, to try and understand oh, things. Oh, of course, but that's different I, I, if, than if like I've, if I've, you know, If somebody feels let down, I, I want to take that very seriously yeah. and, and be appropriately apologetic if that's the right course. Um, but but there wasn't that opportunity. They, they yeah. were just angry uh, and they needed a place to unload. And and, and and this is where I talk about the emotional response. I, I I'm not sure it had anything to do. I, I know it had nothing to do with me. I'm not sure it had anything to do with faith. I think it had to do with a lot of unfinished personal business they had with their father. This is reminding me of as a as an adolescent, I was playing at Jimmy Carter's church down in Georgia because you know I was in Georgia, and um, apparently there were some snarky comments about that at my very conservative church, and uh, some people took that as the opportunity to leave. But shades I'm, shades of Baptists. Yeah, Churches? yeah, this is, is, that this what is that the is? conservative Baptist versus those, you know, those liberal Southern Baptists, right? Um, and I just remember thinking, like, you know, this wasn't the issue. This was just the an excuse. That's right. That's <laughs> this right. This was just an excuse. That's right. And and not that I blame them at all. There were a lot of problems. Well, and, and, and I don't want to be flippant as I say this, but but it's. I don't think there was anything I could have done before or after Memorial Day mm. to to really work with that those particular women um in that particular situation it it if 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 i had done memorial day as they expected me to even though i didn't know what that expectation was they might have stuck around a little bit longer mm-hmm. but but they were ultimately yeah. looking for a way to move out the door 
Um, and, and again, I'm not trying to denigrate their sense of their father or their mm. sense of patriotism, yeah, yeah. but we don't read minds, yeah, any no. of us. And, and we can working all, on it, but you know, yeah. it takes time. Well, it, it just, it, it takes Growth time mindset. for people to get to know each other and, <laughs> and we have to give each other the grace for the time yeah, to, to build mistakes, that knowledge of one just another. Just do something different. Right. Uh, the last challenge that we're thinking about is a theological one, which is we have a lot, we Christians have a lot of different views on what it means to be part of God's beloved community here on earth in our particular countries and national setups. There's so many that vary depending on the denomination that you're in. And um, I think oftentimes those of us who have been in one particular denomination, we might think, well, this is like the way that people think about this, right? But, you know, Catholics have a lot of different teaching about what it means to be like a religious person in a particular country that are really different from like what Presbyterians have taught or what Lutherans have taught. Just really different understandings of the relationship of what it means to be in God's kingdom in that spiritual sense and then like in this physical world and what does that, what is the relationship between the two? What should we do? Right. Very different right. ways of thinking well, about and it. Even Within your Baptist tradition, Sarah, mm-hmm. you know the 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 larger the the word Anabaptist. Where the I just only... want to clarify that I'm not currently Baptist. Yeah. Just for the record, <laughs> your, your former Baptist <laughs> yeah. tradition, Sarah, um, <laughs> where, where where you know those who although who I believe, love Baptists and have loved working in Baptist churches, those those who embrace a believer's baptism mm, um, yeah. can run the gamut from you know, folks who who will be marching with the flag and 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 want to uh, sing the Star Spangled Banner and God Bless America as part mm-hmm. of a 4th of July Sunday service yeah. uh, to uh, Amish and Mennonites who yeah. you know withdraw yeah. from the world because they don't want to you know in part mm-hmm. fight in a There's war. There's a lot of complexity here. Yeah, it, it is. And and it's not simply meted out. Now, one of the things I should probably talk about is is one of the ways I've chosen to deal with these conflicts. Yeah. So let's let's uh, let's talk about our approaches. Okay. To these challenges, and I think I think we have to start with Pastor Bill's strategy. Yeah. Here. My 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 <laughs> approach has been cowardice, uh, oh. more often than not, and 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 that has been to say cowardice as strategic move. <laughs> these these are days that um, may not be wise for me to be leading worship. Mm. Um, because I will, I, I am who I am. I bring a particular perspective about, um, how I'm going to, to pray on a Memorial Day weekend or a fourth of, a Sunday that's close to the fourth of July. I, I, I bring a, a particular understanding theologically, scripturally of, of, you know, I tend to, uh, gravitate towards Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall inherit the earth, or we need to beat our, uh, swords, uh, into plowshares and pruning yeah. hooks, um, and and so I tend to come more from that perspective. And and if that's how I'm preaching, if that's how I'm praying, um, it can be in in certain congregations that can be more harmful to the larger whole than than not. And so I've chosen um, Memorial Day is a great weekend to be Grilling. on vacation. Uh, and 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 there was a group of us who graduated from seminary for 20 years after seminary. We were oh, away together lovely. every Memorial Day us and our spouses and and it was a wonderful tradition. Now it wasn't just to escape. Yeah. Uh, it was a 3-day weekend so we got the yeah. the Monday mm-hmm. holiday. Yeah. But it was advantageous in that way mm-hmm. that I was away. Mm-hmm. Um 4th of July 
I do tend to try and be away. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a, it's been a, a family time for us when we've lived away from where most of our extended family is. Fourth mm-hmm. of July was a, a holiday a we could come holiday. to because I wasn't working. I didn't have to work as a pastor like I do on Christmas or Easter. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. so that was a time to be away, but it's also, um, advantageous to, um, from again with my theological perspective, not to be there to to say things that are are going to create conflict that are going to yeah. get me in trouble yeah. or they're going to create conflict within the congregation. Yeah, and conflict that sometimes conflict can be really good, but yeah. this doesn't sound. And, like and that's avoidance. Conflict. Hear me say, I yeah. I know that and I own that, um, but that's kind of the practical mm. reality. That's picking your battles. That I've, I know that you're I've not found. avoiding others. Right. Other right. I mean, there's there's that's picking a battle. There's all sorts of fights yeah. to have around a church, and mm-hmm. some are more useful than others. So we've got that approach. One kind of approach that I've seen, especially when I was growing up and in more military congregations, would be something that would either be like a celebration of the holiday or something that could be read as Thanksgiving. And as a kid growing up in churches that had a lot of military members, I remember a lot of times military members would be acknowledged in the service, like, you know, we'll stand up and applaud or something like that if you've served in the military. And as a child, I perceive that not as celebration, but as Thanksgiving, like as in, thank you for the service that you've done to our country. Thank you for protecting the people here. And I, I might have a different feeling now, or maybe maybe those churches would have a different kind of thing going on now. But that's, you know, I, I don't think it's wrong to say thank you uh, to people. But yeah, it can be really complicated because then it can become a celebration. It can become hero worship. It can become some things that are really, truly negative. Thanking people for their service to our nation is, I don't think, ever wrong. But but where I struggle is, again, that sense of exceptionalism Mm -hmm. that, that, Mm -hmm. you know, because that often goes hand in hand with God bless America. And and like, like God blesses our country more mm-hmm. than any other country yeah, or, or yeah. that we were somehow created more specially than anyone else. Mm-hmm. If, and and yeah. if we're all created in God's image, I remember as a child wondering, I wonder what it would be like to be in a country that wasn't the best in the world. Yeah. That is a sheltered childhood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Oh, and, and I also, I struggle with when it does become hero worship because I'm not sure we're helping those who have served in the military. Oh, yeah. No, uh, I don't think so at all. I, I remember uh, there, were cellar, there was a church I was serving in Indiana years ago. One of the um, youth leaders wanted to, to create a, an oh, Armistice no. Day, a Veterans Day mm-hmm. kind of celebration, have everybody stand in worship mm-hmm. or, or, and have them come talk to the youth. And I said, mm-hmm. that's great. I think it's important to do that. Can, can we also ask them if they'd be willing to reflect on what it means to serve in the military and, and have certain scriptures that they grew up with, that they were taught about, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, thou mm-hmm. shalt not kill. What does it mean? What has it meant for them? It was the mm-hmm. church supportive of them. How have they struggled with that? Are there ways mm-hmm. that the church can help them? Oh, meant, that's getting into a nuanced and, conversation. And I meant that in, in a, in a very honest way, both for what they could teach the the youth, yeah. but also were there ways the church could be helping them if they were struggling with yeah. those questions, you know, had been struggling with those questions since their military uh, service. And, and it just 
created a furor to even think about asking those questions. Well, we just have to thank them. We just have to be proud of them. Um, it, it's like we don't want to learn anything that they might have to teach us based on these experiences, or we don't want to help them if they're struggling with, with faith issues based on those experiences that they had you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. This kind of reminds me of um, celebrations of parenthood that don't acknowledge how complicated parent-child relationships can be. Um, like, oh, yay, rah, 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 Mother's Day. Ooh, a lot of people don't have good relationships with their mothers. Ooh. Or, or they can't yeah. become mothers. Yeah, Or oh don't goodness. want to so become mothers. And, and the same thing with Father's Day. Oof. Um, yeah, and sometimes I feel like, you know, do we really have to get into this in church? Like, I'm glad if you can... Yeah, right. I just... Right. Mm. Complicated. Um, so one other other um, approach to these challenges is just simple acknowledgement and in the sense of like, oh, we're going to mention this in our pastoral prayer, something like that. Or, um, you know, I do it on the musical side around 4th of July. I put um, all American composers. And I have mm-hmm. a nice little note in the mm-hmm. bulletin, we're celebrating music by American composers this week. Here are these composers, a little bio blurb. You know, it's an acknowledgement without really taking a side or... Correct. And in some ways, it's like, you know, there's room for a lot of nuanced conversation here, but is really a Sunday where hardly anybody's here because hardly anybody's here for Memorial Day or, you know, Fourth of July. Is that really the time that you that you want to engage with that? Oftentimes it's not. Those conversations need to be much broader and deeper and take place over time. Mm -hmm. And, And we're often pressed, all of us in the church, to to give time for those things because there's the roof's leaking or, or, uh, you know, the Sunday school startup in the fall is coming or, or whatever it is. And, and, and we're busy rushing around trying to handle those things. For our read of the week, and we only have one, uh, let's think about one final approach for, for our uh, challenges that we have here. And the book that I've read recently is called Preaching in the Purple Zone by Leah Shade, S-C-H-A-D-E. And um, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. It's a recent book about what do you do when you're preaching in a church that any of us could be in, where you've got people on the red side, you've got people on the blue side, and um, you want to be a spiritual leader to all the people in your congregation? And what Dr. Shade has proposed is a model of a sermon, a dialogue, and a sermon. And this model could happen over a couple of couple of Sundays or over you know a month. And basically. The first portion, the first sermon or Bible study, whatever it ends up being, is what she refers to as a rooting sermon, R-O-O-T, rooting, where the topic is introduced to the congregation. Oh, we're going to talk about, say, climate change, because that's a hot button topic, and but not in the sense of we're going to talk about climate change here and now, but in the sense of for the rooting sermon, let's talk about um, the importance of God's earth, that God has created us, that God has made us to care for the earth. Just a, a kind of a generic, to me, to me it seems, introduction to the topic that isn't necessarily drawing lessons for the here and now, but just saying, hey, we have license to talk about this. It's okay for us to talk about this. We get to talk about this. And then the middle portion is a dialogue, which is set up to be a really um, hopefully respectful conversation between people who want to participate, facilitator, a record keeper, um, a, a note taker, the, those kinds of folks. Um, and people are asked, you know, what's your relationship to the topic? What do you think about X, Y, Z um, approaches to this topic? Like, what do you think we could do in response to climate change? And then the final portion is not a sermon that says, well, here's what I think and here's the right way, but rather here are what the different voices said. Here's what people in our congregation said about this thing. And 
the goal isn't necessarily to come to any single viewpoint on the issue. That's probably an impossible goal, but to actually have this dialogue, to be able to talk about something that's incredibly, incredibly divisive in our churches and talk about it in a way that doesn't divide the congregation. It's a really uh, research-based book. It's actually um, a lot of the research is based on her survey of over 1,200 pastors in mainline denominations. So very intensive uh, research base to to the book. And um, I mean, of course, I love reading this kind of stuff. I'm like, ooh, this is fun Saturday morning reading. Sarah uh, <laughs> is shimmering for those of you who can't see through the radio or oh, the, it's such a good the book. computer. Such a good book. Yes. You know, sometimes sometimes uh, more academic books get a bad rap because it's like, well, what's the practical application? This is an incredibly, incredibly practical book. Even if you're not like, oh, what what my really want to do is talk about climate change in my church. But even if you're just like, well, how do I um how do we make a change in a congregation? Well, this is a great model for how to make a change in a congregation or to open up new pathways without alienating people, without just saying, well, here's what we got to do. You're going to follow me. What intrigues me, and I haven't read the book, but what intrigues me by the approach is that it's really designed to keep the relationships within mm-hmm. a congregation And intact. even to strengthen yes, relationships. Yes, yes. And, and that, that if the relationships are intact, we can get through a lot mm-hmm. together yeah. versus so many of the approaches of our culture uh, and and practices of our church, I think, unfortunately, mimicking culture, mm-hmm. are, are really tearing relationships yeah. apart. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we don't know people that we disagree with much on social media. Um, our congregations, mm-hmm. our communities mm-hmm. are all becoming more polarized in many ways. And, and this kind of approach invites us to say we need a variety of relationships with a variety of people who think different mm-hmm. ways. That's how we function best together as a people, as a community. And I think you can even push that to uh, as a nation. So that's it, Preaching in the Purple Zone by Leah Shade. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. That's it for this week's installment of Cult. Look for new episodes on the first and third Tuesdays of the month. You can find show notes at calledpodcast.com, all one word run together. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with your ministry buddies. That is the best way for them to find the show. We love to have new listeners. And, And we also love to have feedback. Um, if there's uh, ideas you have or you want to talk about what approach you've you you've got used. questions, we, we would have a lot of fun doing a listener question yeah, segment. That yeah, we're, we're, we're interested in what yeah. you think. And, and if there are topics you'd love to hear us talk about. Yeah. Uh, our, our, our email address is calledpodcast at gmail.com. Perfect. I'm Bill Smoots. And I'm Sarah Bariza. Until next time, cut out the BS and embrace the good. <laughs>